Hello, and welcome to Yikes. That's amazing. I'm your host, Pearl, and I talk about stories that are creepy, crazy, and keep you on the edge of your seat. And I'm your host, Nathan, and I tell stories of positivity, inspiration, and determination. We're best friends. We're roommates, and we're here to tell you some cool stories. So, welcome to episode nine. Um, also, we have an exciting thing to share. The podcast I- has now 4% of listeners in the UK. Woo! Uh, thank so you. Thank you to all of those people in the UK who have been tuning into us. Uh, we also have some Canadian listeners and some in India as well. So, um, Heck yeah. yeah. So, we we're majority that. in the US because that's where yeah. our friends um, and family are. And but so we're branching out. We're branching out. We're getting there. It's very very worldwide. Mr. Worldwide. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> um, also, very exciting news for us. Spotify now does ratings. Ooh. Lucky for us. Lucky for you. It's a lot easier than the iTunes ones. As long as you listen to 30 seconds of at least one episode, you can just go to the podcast page and just takes a couple taps you just give us five stars and that's all it takes yeah you can do it while you're listening you just have to have yeah. the updated app but that's so easy and everyone's you got their automatic updated, updates right? on anyway come on, come on. who are so we talking yeah, about yeah that here? would be amazing if you would want to give us one of those if you have been enjoying the podcast yeah give us and a little uh, review yeah also you know those itunes ones as well if yes, you want to give us five stars very, on very iTunes, much. that would be fantastic yes uh and i don't know if you've noticed but we got a little bit of new intro music courtesy of my brother caleb so thank you caleb thank you caleb shout out to you it is amazing shout out to the skills yeah the absolute skills because we could not have done that ourselves because no. the earlier episodes were just me strumming on a guitar um with a microphone laying on my bed in front of me so <laughs> like yeah, this Which is was a great. Yeah, still and a vibe. Still proud of you for that one. Thank you, thank you. But this, uh, we got some bops going on now. Yeah. And I think you should go first this week, so I should you go first so that we can to y- do it first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we can change it up. We've usually done yours first, so we can change it up a little bit this time, and I'll just jump right into my story, like and then we can yeah. end it, uh, bringing us end it on a sad down note. a few notches. Woo-hoo. He attempts to summit all 14 mountains over 8,000 meters or 26,246 feet. Do they have a thing about this guy on Netflix? Is that what you've been watching? that's what I've been watching. I put that on my list because I was like, that looks amazing. I will 100% rewatch it with you because I was thoroughly enjoying it. I don't want to watch it with you. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you'll hear everything about it in this. I don't even need to watch it anymore. But I also do... I put a note in here to like mention please go and uh watch Netflix the has got some good documentary they really do yeah no I, like please Ooh. go and watch this documentary well, because cool. it That's is funny. so like just I the visuals it of yet, it so now i have no idea exactly yeah so i've uh, once again i've had to hide from pearl what i've been watching and same for her to me and um like watching and researching and all that kind of stuff so that we go fresh into this not knowing what each other are talking about so yeah anyway 
Um, I'm going to go over the story as he attempts to summit all 14 mountains over 8,000 meters or 26,246 feet in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he would not be the first uh, to do so, but his original um, goal for completing all of them, uh, completing all 14, was in the span of seven months. The previous record for completing all 14 8,000ers was seven years. So Are you kidding me? He wanted to do all 14 of these me right now? in seven months. So oh, this is no small task to complete in a seven-month period. Um, and then I wanted to start out with, I got all my information from um, the documentary that was that he made called 14 Peaks. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. It is amazing and the cinematography is incredible and yeah and it'll help you get more of a visual for what i'm talking about in here because we'll obviously post pictures yes pictures will be posted on instagram etc and so yeah these are some crazy crazy things like the highest kind of shit where you're like actually sweating and like i actually said that to pearl when she was like passing by as i was watching this on my computer i was like my hands have been literally sweating this entire time um i was gonna say i think the highest peak in the united states is mount denali and if i'm correct it's about i think it's right at twenty thousand feet and so all of these peaks are minimum like 6,000 feet higher than Denali. That's insane. 6,000 plus feet. Um, So yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, I got um, most of my information from the documentary um, and then um, some from the Guinness World's Record website and Wikipedia as well. Um, So to start out um, Nim's younger life, uh, he grew up in a poor family from Nepal with three older brothers and a sister his father was a Gurkha soldier, uh, which is an elite branch of the British Army that requires much training to be able to join. Um, Nims talks a lot uh, about when he was younger, he was a big troublemaker and was constantly in trouble with his teachers and everything. And he describes his mother as not a soft mom, but she was tough for a reason, meaning like he was kind of just a little shit and <laughs> she had to put him in his place. Um, so Nims and his brothers all followed in their father's footsteps and became Gurkha soldiers as well. Uh, while in the Gurkhas, uh, Nims married his wife, Suchi. Um, after six years spent as a Gurkha soldier, he became the first Gurkha ever to, um, be accepted into the Royal Navy special boat services. Uh, he remained in the special boat services until 2018 when he turned down an invitation to the special air services and actually ended up resigning from the special boat service to solely focus on his mountaineering. This is where our story begins. All right, get it, mountain man. Uh, Nims had an idea in his mind. He had first started his mountaineering trips back in 2012 uh, while he was still in the Special Forces. He realized that he had a knack for it, and it became quite a passion of his. Uh, Coming closer to 2018, the idea popped into his head that he wanted to climb all 14 peaks over 8,000 meters. Not only do that, but do it in the span of seven months. This would require a lot of funds. While Nims and Suchi were doing all right for themselves while he was in the Special Forces, um, to complete his dreams, he had resigned from his um, position to work full-time on this project. Um, So Nims started seeking out investors to be able to fund his dream project. Uh, But being an unknown climber from Nepal, he was met with a lot of closed doors and disappointment. 
Um, after tirelessly trying to raise the funds, Nims and Suchi decided their only option was to refinance their home and use the funds from that to finance the project. So right. kind of Big a commitment. lot right in on yeah. the line on Big that commitment. one. Um, but in the documentary, um, Suchi, Nims' wife, is talking about, like, I had my complete trust and faith in him. Like, I know this would not be a decision he would make if he did not think that he was going to be able to complete it. He is very determined. And, um, like, she was like, I, I was nervous, but I trusted him. So, um, so yeah. So Goals. from there, NIMS would need a team. A major part of NIMS' determination in completing this project was to give a name to the unknown Nepalese climbers uh, who have been overshadowed for so long by so many popularized Western climbers. Uh, NIMS is quoted saying, The climbing community of Nepal has always been the pioneers of the 8,000ers, uh, but they have never gotten the respect they deserve. I want to represent the Nepalese community. Uh, the Nepalese climbing community. Um, so he chose his team of climbers, all from Nepal, including his friends Mingma, Gelgen, Lakpa, and Gezman. Uh, none of them who would, uh, none of them would climb all of the mountains with him, but they were all climbers that he trusted, and it would kind of mm-hmm. be like smaller groups of them would go up with him. Um, but he was the only one who was going to be doing all of the peaks. Um, so the nickname for this project was Project Possible. Uh, Project Possible was split into three sections, the first, Nepal, the second, Pakistan, and the third in China. Um, The mountain in China, the last mountain in China uh, would also require a permit to climb, which no one had received since 2014. And they were gearing up to do this. uh, They were, uh, all the preparation was in 2018 and they started in 2019. So it had been like five years since anybody had gotten a permit. Um, from this crazy. so at this point so they were like we're well at this point doing this. no permit has been received and that comes up later oh, shit. um so but it was something that they would have to get mm-hmm. to be able to complete all of these um so they set out for the first peak of phase one in nepal called annapurna standing at 8091 meters or 26,545 feet annapurna as well as a lot of the other 8,000ers is known to be very dangerous. And for every three people that have attempted it, one person has died. Not so great odds. Not not great odds, especially when you're climbing with more than three people. Um, but yeah, so it was terrifying odds. Uh, in the documentary, you can see as they're making their ascent up there, there are avalanches happening like to the left and right of them like as they're going up. Um, I so literally want to cry. No, I would that. be I would, shitting and farting. I can barely <laughs> go on the safest hike ever without freaking out. Yeah, and they're literally like climbing through six foot deep snow as like avalanches are coming down on the left and right. It, it yeah, Casual. that's my hands are like sweating talking literally. about this right now too. <laughs> um, so um, Don Bowie, a professional mountaineer, was climbing. Um, at the same time as them on Annapurna and like join their group. Um, he had attempted the summit of Annapurna five times over the last 13 years and had yet to make it up. So, okay. And, he, and that was like over more time than uh, Nims had even been climbing. Cause he started mountaineering in 2012. Jeez. This guy had tried this one mountain five times over the last 13 years and had not made it up. Um, but, 
On April 23rd, 2019, Nims, his crew, and Don all made it to the summit of Annapurna, and this marked the beginning of Project Possible. It's very, very exciting. They did it, the first one. That's um, so crazy. But that night, when they got back to Camp 4, there. so when you're, like, uh, most of these um, mountains, and it's similar to a lot of other mountaineering, there will usually be, like, multiple camps along the way that you'll stop mm-hmm. at, like, e- and rest each night, and then, like, the last one you just set off for to the summit. And so most of these ones have four different camps. Um, so they made it back to Camp 4 um, after summiting, um, and then they had found out that a climber from a different group hadn't made it back to camp. A rescue hel- helicopter was sent out to see if it could pinpoint the location of the climber. Nims put together a rescue team, including himself, to go up and save the climber. And the rescue helicopter ended up finding them and radioing in, and they were able to like go up and bring the guy back down and this whole scene in this documentary is absolutely incredible because these climbers that had just finished their ascent over this over 8,000 meter mountain were going back up like almost all the way back up because I think that the, cl- uh, the climber was around like 7,500 meters and this mountain was just over 8,000 so they were going almost all the way back up to the um, summit to go res- rescue I this mean, guy good. and then were able to bring him all the way down to Camp 3. So the original camp that they came down to is Camp 4. So they went one lower down the mountain to Camp 3 with this guy five minutes before the helicopter got there to pick him up to take him to safety. So this Holy shit. team is like Incredible. hardcore. Like they, yeah. I mean, obviously he's got a lot of like elite military training and stuff and that comes into play a lot in mm-hmm. um, his climbs and stuff. So... Uh, but this emergency situation did not slow Nims and his team down, and they set off for their second peak. Uh, the second peak on the list was Dalhajir, uh, standing at 8,167 meters, or 26,794 feet, um, and very close to where Nims ha- was born. Um, this peak went without as much of a hitch, and they made their summit at 6 a.m. on May 12th, um, after climbing through the night, um, beginning at 9 p.m. on May 11th. So they literally, like, climbed, made the last, like, push up to the summit, like, overnight and got there around sunrise. Like, I can't imagine doing any of this, especially doing it in the dark by headlamp. Um, and there's multiple accounts of them doing that through this to just make time on a lot. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, so they made that one, um, and then they pressed on to the third mountain of uh, Kenshinjunga, uh, standing at 8,586 meters, or 28,169 feet. Uh, Nims was definitely a fan of doing a little uh, partying here and there with the guys, and uh, mostly in like celebration of the peaks that they were doing. Um, so there are a few times throughout this story that he does some of these absolutely crazy things while hungover, and oh this is also, going to like, be one how of them. Do they even have? Are they where are they getting? I mean, a a couple of times you see them getting to base camp with, like, bottles or flasks of booze and stuff, and they'll, like, uh, just drink a bunch one night and then literally summon them out the next day. Like, 
I can't. Yeah, no. It, the, like I said, they're they're crazy. Like, but it, they're freaking. I mean, crazy. it looks like a pretty fun party. You gotta admit. Oh my but, god, um, I'm so random. I'm so random <laughs> and so quirky. Um. So yeah, they um. So while this was going to be, uh, while Kenshin Junga was going to be the tallest summit they'd done during this project so far, they only had a small window to complete it uh, due to some bad weather that was coming their way. Instead of putting this summit off till a later date, Nims decided that they'd make their way past all of the camps along the way and head straight up to the summit in one day while hungover. And this was the tallest one that That's they had done so far. That's usually what I do when I'm hungover. Yeah, I usually just summit a mountain. I'm like, mm, not feeling great today. I'm going to get to the top of Kinshinjunga. Yes. Because I can. Um, and on May 15th, only three days after they had summited uh, Dalajir, they summited Kinshinjunga in Damn one it. go. While hungover, he made it all the way up. All these other guys that are trying to do this shit are like, fuck you. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> No, completely. Um, and then on the way down um, from the summit of Kenshinjunga, they came across a climber who had run out of oxygen um, and was uh, struggling very badly. They were only 100 meters below the summit, and anything above 8,000 meters is known as the danger zone because you are only breathing one-third of the amount of oxygen that you would be breathing at sea level. Yeah. So for all of these... Um, summits that they're doing they have oxygen tanks mm -hmm. in their bag that so that they can breathe which there uh, it talks about in the documentary that there was a lot of controversy in the mountaineering community of people saying like it he, it was too easy for him to have done all of these in a short amount of time because he was using oxygen and if you're supposed to like actually summit all of these 14ers you're supposed to do it with no oxygen yeah and okay it's like, yeah, buddy i'm you're sure just... that was easy for him that was <laughs> yeah, so, so easy. easy and also like okay he's just giving himself a better chance of not dying exactly it's like bro go off though he still did it you're just like jealous. you're just jealous that you didn't do it it's like if you haven't done it then you can't you can't talk. yeah literally shut like shut up <laughs> yeah like don't even um, so yeah, so they came across a climber who had run out of oxygen 100 meters below the summit, which was around like 8,400 meters, um, and they were uh, radioing down to the camps below to try and get help, and they were repeatedly told that help was on the way by the people over the radio, however no help would end up coming. Oh my god. After spending hours of them sharing oxygen, the climber would eventually end up dying in Nim's arms. What the fuck? Yeah. And they like it was hours and hours and they like um most of it's like not on video, but they they got do a little bit when they like find the guy and it's a smaller section, but like they're radioing and they're like hey, like, we need help, we need help. And people are like, yeah, help's coming. Like, help will be on the way. And then literally, like, literally nothing ever came. And so um, they had to begin making their descent right after that or they would end up meeting the same exact fate. Uh, by this time, Nims had already been without oxygen for around 11 hours because he ran out of oxygen trying to help this guy. Um, and so he started to develop haste, which is high-altitude cerebral edema. Um, this means you start to lose control of your movements and begin hallucinating. Oh, goody, which is great. That's when exactly you're like, what you want to do when you're yeah. trying to climb down a uh, mountain. 
yeah, you want to start hallucinating and losing control of your body. Yes. Um, so during this time, Nims actually ended up running into another climber who had also developed haste um, and was trying to help him get back to Camp 4. And he was talking about in the documentary when he first saw this climber, he was hallucinating, thinking that this climber was like this big Yeti creature. Oh, my God. Um, and he yelled out, like, asking if it needed help. And he was like, yeah. And then, like, as he got closer, he realized it was just another climber um, That's but so somehow scary. they ended up making it down to the camp and yeah that that would be so terrifying um Jeez. i cannot imagine but yeah th- um so there's actually a part in the documentary um that shows them performing a test on nims meant to see um how his body reacts to lack of oxygen while doing strenuous work and making decisions quickly and accurately um, the test is meant to last three minutes, um, but they say some long-distance cyclists can only make it 90 seconds d- uh, during the test because it's like your face is covered with this mask that's restricting your breathing a bit, and you're like on a cycle uh, on a um, like whatever those like what are those things elliptical? called elliptical yeah elliptical um, uh, yes uh, uh, on an elliptical um, and while you're like also like tapping on this tablet trying to like answer these questions so oh like all God, of these going on stress. at the same time for 3 minutes straight um and Nims was able to do the entire 3 minutes and the man administering the test said he'd never seen a res- results quite like his before in his like blood oxygen level and like his lung capacity and stuff like that yeah, so yeah so these people who are like he couldn't did that because he had the oxygen. It's like, no, he's the results just, speak for the themselves. The results speak for themselves. Um, so, uh, the next leg of the journey would be three summits, all done within 48 hours, including the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. So, yeah. That I, Are you shitting me? Yeah. Because they're all, like, right near each other, so you can do them all in, like, a smaller amount of time, but that's still summiting three over 8,000 Oh, nothing, peaks, just the world's tallest mountain. Including it's the world's fine. tallest mountain. Um, Everest so, is scary. Yeah, Everest is scary, but um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So, um, the three peaks that he would be doing were Everest, Lotz, and Makalu. Uh, Everest stands at 8,848 meters or 29,028 feet. Um, The summit would be practically impossible without the Sherpas that set fixed wires that climbers attach onto to make the summit. Um, You can see in the documentary the absolutely insane amount of people that are trying to summit Everest at the same time. Um, it was another one of those things where there was a small window of good weather between uh, it, this one time was between May 22nd to May 23rd. So there were nearly 400 climbers trying to summit Everest at the same time that NIMS was. And like it, you literally just see these lines of people attached to these wires. Just like it looks like they're just like walking up in a line to like order coffee, but they're like, summiting the tallest mountain in the world um so uh nims had gotten a a picture from up at the uh summit of the mountain with all of the people lined up to just like get to the summit Mm -hmm. um 
and it actually ended up going viral. Um, but he's talking about in the documentary, he's like, I couldn't focus on that because I had uh, like three peaks to do in 48 hours. So right. like, but it was, it ended up being good for him. I'll get into it a little bit later that that did go so viral because that ends up helping him with something um, later. But yeah, the picture is just so many people crammed up together up at the top and it's just crazy to see like i could not imagine summiting that much less being like shoved up against like multiple hundred other people up at the top there um so yeah and nims obviously had a different plan for the day and was trying to bag three peaks in the same window as most people were just trying to summit everest um with his insane determination and strength he was able to get all three peaks done between may 22nd and may 23rd and that ended phase one of project possible so he did all of the eight thousanders in nepal um and was ready to move on to phase two all right um so peak seven the first of phase two and the beginning of the climbs in pakistan was nanga parbat uh standing at eight thousand one hundred and twenty five meters or twenty six thousand six hundred and fifty six feet uh they summited this peak on july 3rd while climbing back down to camp from the summit, Nims slipped and started sliding down a glacier with rapid speed. He fell about 100 meters or 328 feet before he was able to see a rope dangling down next to him that he was able to grab and save his life. Jeez! So, oh so God. many crazy close calls. I was kind of glad that they didn't have vid- footage of that in the... Oh, my God. Um, in the documentary, there's a couple of scenes that they put in with, like, animation, which is really cool animation. But, um, yeah, it, I was like, I would have, like, pissed my pants if I had been even watching yeah, that. Yeah, that's really scary. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he was able to grab onto a rope that was dangling, save his life. And uh, this terrifying <sighs> mishap did not slow him down. And they when moved on. When you have good karma because you're great person literally yeah it's like only good people can uh do stuff like this because if you're a bad person karma's Karma's got a kiss for you i'm sure a lot of people would see someone you know maybe struggling and be like okay well i can't struggle too because i might die if i struggle so yeah but he's basically like something everybody needs to get it off this mountain or i get mean off this i think mountain. a I'm lot of mountaineer people are behind. very much like camaraderie like i'm gonna help this guy but you know yeah. what i'm saying like, yeah not no, everyone not everybody would like jet back up a mountain oh. to almost like resummit it yeah to or like helping the guy with the somebody. oxygen and stuff yeah. like that yeah, when it's when you're gonna be putting yourself in basically the same position, but just trying to save somebody's life. Um, but yeah, that uh, terrifying mishap did not slow him down, and they moved on to peak eight, uh, Gesherbrum one, uh, standing at about eight thousand and eight meters or twenty six thousand two hundred and seventy two feet. They summited on July fifteenth. And then summited Gesherbrom two, uh, standing at eight thousand three hundred or no eight thousand and thirty four meters or twenty six thousand three hundred and fifty eight feet. Three days later, on July eighteenth, so another one where it was like three days, and he did just two more peaks. You know, just just casually, just all in a day's work. Just easy peasy lemon squeezy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then from there they moved on to peak. 10 which would be 
K2, a daunting 8,611 meter or, or 28,251 uh, feet, where uh, when Nims and his team arrived at the base camp for K2, uh, there were a lot of climbers who had just attempted the summit but were unsuccessful. Um, they were all in very low spirits, um, but a repeating theme in this documentary is that Nim and his team um, have an incredible way of inspiring people back into good spirits. Uh, that's exactly what they did the night before they would try to re-summit. Um, the next morning, there was still some hesitation, but uh, he got everyone going and started their climb. Even with so much of the um, negativity, Nim's team completed their summit on July 24th, and thanks to his encouragement, a total of 24 climbers finished the summit of K2 over the span of two days. So he just got in there and was just like, come on, guys, like, get it together. Get it together. And we're <laughs> all going to summit, and it's... Making shit happen. Yeah, so that's like the second or third time in this that it's just like a bunch of people that have tried to summit something and weren't able to. And then he comes in and he's like, guys, we got this. Let's just, let, let's get a shit. Like we got this. And they did. And yeah, he's just, just an incredibly so inspiring man. Um, just all around. Good guy. All around. All around. Um, Gem. so they continued on with that high of inspiration and 36 hours after summiting K2, they began their summit of broad peak, which was 8,051 meters or 26,414 feet and finished the summit on July 26th. Um, this marked the last summit of phase two, ending their journey in Pakistan. They summited the five highest peaks in Pakistan in 23 days. So he's just bagging he's them. He's just literally, I mean, this has to be like, okay, I can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. I'm just so shocked. Yeah. No, it's Woo! and it's a lot of numbers being thrown out too, but it's like well, just yeah, a lot of still. big numbers of oh. big things. Um, That's why my brain is like, I cannot comprehend. Yeah, I can't comprehend someone else. I mean, doing I can't that, even comprehend myself. doing Everest. Yeah, I literally can't. But he's like, Everest is a. He's just, like, Everest it's, it's is a my bitch. Day. I got Everest. It's no biggie. Um, but yeah, so during the break between phase two and three, Nim's mother's health went from bad to worse when she had a heart attack. Uh, the doctors were unable to operate on her because she was too vulnerable. Uh, it was looking, it was not looking good for a bit. But a week later, she started to recover and uh, started to look better. Nims was able to continue the project with the blessing of his mother. So it was a bit of a health scare, and she had already been in um, pretty bad health for a while before that. Um, 
but she started looking better and she was like you need to go and finish this for me um so Aww, very very mommy. sweet and, and she was uh, there's like intermittent times in between um his peaks where he goes and visits his mother and she's like how many do you have left and she's like please obviously like very this. worried yeah that Aww, that would be my mom too. i cannot imagine no your child going out and just like i would get uh really scared if my child would like go on a walk outside yeah much less be like summiting the tallest mountains in the entire yeah. world every single one of them um yeah so that was a lot but a great mom that she still encouraged exactly yeah no so it very good mom that she was like go finish this for me and um, so after the beginning of phase three, they received some bad news. Uh, first was that their permit for climbing in Shishinpangma uh, had been denied by the Chinese government. So that was that one that I was referring no. to earlier. They, But like nobody had gotten a permit since 2014. So this was definitely a setback, but they s- had some other mountains that they still needed to climb before they tackled that issue. Um and uh, the second piece of bad news was while they were at the base camp for Manaslu, they found out that Choi-Oyu uh, would be closing down for the uh, closing down the following week for the rest of the year. Um, so they had to pack up their stuff from the base camp of Manaslu and rush to Choi-Oyu uh, to summit before it was closed for the season. So peak number twelve. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, they were literally like ready to go up Manaslu and then they like, found okay. out that Chooyu well, was g- about to close and they're like, all right, I guess shit. we just got to zoom, 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 zoom. Um, and then uh, they m- uh, so peak 12 is Chooyu, um, which stands at 8,201 meters, 26,906 feet. Um, they completed the summit on September 23rd and from there had to rush back down. Get back to Manaslu. Peak 13 is Manaslu, standing at 8,163 meters or 26,781 feet. They summited this peak on September 27th, just four days after Chooyu. So more and more of this just like boom, boom, boom. Like it can't be more spread out over. I mean, at this point, it is his job. It is literally his job. It is quite literally their job. That's crazy. Yeah, so... Now, with Chooyu and Manaslu under his belt, there was one peak left to summit, and Nims was not going down without a fight. In an attempt to sway the decision of the Chinese government, Nims started meeting with Napoli's politicians to see if they could speak on his behalf to obtain a permit for Shishimpangma. Uh, this did not lead anywhere. But in addition to this, he was also reaching out to the community he had built on social media over the course of his adventure. Uh, He requested his followers write into the Chinese government to see if this would change their decision. This petition blew up and caught the attention of many well-established names in the mountaineer, well-established names in mountaineering, um, who called their followers to write in as well. The Chinese government saw the immense support Nims had built, uh, uh, had built, and they granted him a permit to summit Shishimpangma. So the write-in petition worked. Wow, so that's crazy. Yeah, I, I was mean, like, that's absolutely insane. And power. how much, like, do you have to uh, support on social media? Do you have to get behind you for the Chinese government to, oh, like, literally. recognize that and grant you a permit to a mountain that's been closed for five years? 
So they knew they were gonna do it, though. Yeah, the, he was like, "I there's project no possible. way that I'm not doing this project possible." He manifested uh, that whole. Oh no, he thing. did the whole entire time. Like he's just constantly like, "Project possible, project mm-hmm. possible." Like I'm going to do this. Um, so peak fourteen, Shishimpangma stands at eight thousand and twenty-seven meters, or twenty-six thousand three hundred and thirty-five feet. Like I stated earlier, no one had climbed this since 2014, so this was a huge thing for Nims to be able to do. Uh, Nims and his team summited Shishimpangma on October 29th of 2019. At the summit, Nims was able to radio his mom, and he said, Mom, you know that project I was talking about? That is over. We did it. (laughs) So he was able to call her from the summit of the last mountain fucking cry it's so cute and so sweet his mom did end up passing away in 2020 but um, but she she got to she lived to see him summit his 14th 8000er um so nirmal purja completed project possible 14 peaks over 8000 meters in only six months and six days almost a month less than his original goal of seven months so all of that, like peak after peak after peak after peak, paid off because he beat what his original goal was by almost an entire month. So that wow. is absolutely insane. I'm shooky. Um, while doing this, uh, he also set multiple mountaineering records, including the fastest climb all 8,000ers, fastest to time to climb five of the tallest 8,000ers, which he did within 70 days. Um, fastest triple header of 8,000ers the day he did Everest, Lotz, and Makalu, and the most ascents of Everest in one day, which is just meaning he was there the day the most ascents were made. Mm-hmm. The previous record was 266 ascents in one day. The day Nims was there, there were 354 people that ascended Mount Everest. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, he... Wowzers! He did it! And, yeah, so please go and watch that documentary because the, like I said, the cinematography is incredible. It's hard not to when you're going to, like, the most beautiful yes, places like on the planet. Yes, like, you could have the crappiest camera in the fucking world. And, and it, it would, would still, still look be. amazing. Um, but, yeah. yeah, no, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible documentary. And, yeah, I would definitely suggest going and watching that even though you know what's going to happen. It's still beautiful. And just seeing his uh, presence on the screen and he has a very infectious energy, like happy energy to him. So it's just a lot of fun to watch him as he's going along this because even in times where he's a lot more discouraged and stuff, he's still encouraging everyone else around him. So, yeah. What a stand-up guy. What a stand-up guy. He's kind of the best. He's the friggin' best. He's he's a friggin' beast. All right. So, well, now that we are done lifting your spirits and talking about happy things, we are going to move our way over to Pearl's story. All righty. What do you got for us today? Today, I'm going to start off by saying A... I'm terribly sorry, but I neglected to write down my sources before I closed all, all my tabs. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Yeah. But it's okay. 
because I got two stories done that week and I was proud of myself anyway. So sorry about that, but I don't think you're going to go and double check my sources anyway. So (laughs) it's fine. It's all right for one episode. Okay. So the other thing is I want to start off by saying that I have been kind of holding off on doing uh, certain types of stories and just a lot of stories that I have found in general because, you know, stuff's really hard to listen to. Content's pretty graphic. Yeah, I but can't relate. the thing is that this is the terrifying nature of what every woman has to go through life fearing. We can't just go through life blissfully unaware. We have to be constantly vigilant, always watching our backs, and to be quite honest, second guess everyone. And even then, like in today's story, we can easily be trapped with no way out. A lot of people ask me how I can handle, like, ingesting so much true crime because I'm such an anxious person. (laughs) But I just think that everybody needs to be aware of these kinds of dangers because they're a lot more common than you think they are. A lot more common. I'm not especially if you're not a woman. Like they're a lot more common than you think they are, or if they're not happening. Yeah, exactly. And for uh, I just I know a lot of women who are clearly not aware. I mean, like I do think every woman is aware. Okay, it's a lot more dangerous. Yeah, but it's you know it's a scary world out there, and you need to be you need to be aware of what mm, you know might be able to happen and and what you can do in that what you situation. can do because yeah. I do feel like I am more prepared now. Yeah, I've been binging true crime since 2016. I mean, I've always been a I've always been a murderer. Been a crime but like, fan. I started listening to a true fan crime of crime podcasts, and ever since then, I'm like, okay, well, I'll fucking fight a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so also I want I want the victims to be remembered. And, yeah. You know, also survivors and thankfully today's story is a survivor story. Oh, I think that is so one thing you told me about. As graphic the story. and terrible as the story is, you can know now that she is fine. Okay. So we can make it through yes. knowing that she Honestly, made that, it through. Honestly, that that is I I kind of love knowing that in stories like this. Yeah. Because just really helps you get through it. Yeah. Especially on this one. This one's fucked up. Great. Speaking of that. Here we go. Let's get into it. Woo. (laughs) On September 6th, 2006, in the small South Carolina town of Lugoff, a 14-year-old Elizabeth Schof was preparing to do what she always did after school, which was get off the bus and walk the 200 yards from the stop to her house where she would do homework with her brother and wait for their parents to get home. Today, though, as soon as she stepped off the bus, a police officer stopped her, put handcuffs on her, and arrested her on some sort of marijuana charge. Sorry, what? So, instead of taking her to a patrol car, which you would think would happen if you were getting arrested, he led her into the woods. Okay, this is not a cop. Taking her in a super, like, zigzag circular pattern so that she would be super, like... Disoriented lost and, and disoriented and just not really have any idea where she was going because this is right by her house. Yeah. Um. So she began to realize something was very, very wrong. They went about half a mile into the woods behind Elizabeth's house before the man revealed a hidden door to a shitty hand dug 
bunker. Oh, quote. no. He ordered her to get in and that if she tried to escape, she wouldn't be able to and that there were booby traps all around. This is like, what was that movie? Lovely Bones? Yeah. I oh. was thinking of that the whole time. Oh, no. So, obviously, at this point, she's like, okay, I'm kidnapped by a fake police officer. Yeah, this is obviously, I'm not going to jail for a marijuana charge right yeah. now. Also, it's like, this 12-year-old does not have a, does not have marijuana on her. Yeah. And Nor how would, would he even fucking know like the second her off she steps the, yeah. off of her bus? Like, yeah. But what are you going to do? Well, it's yeah, a no. Cop. And what are you going to do? Yeah, as a 12-year-old, you're like, I'm not going to fight a cop. Even not as a 12-year-old, like, that is one thing now. A uh, word of advice, and nothing has ever happened where I'd, I have had to use this, but it is a thing. If you're ever in a situation where you're being pulled over or there's a cop at your door, you do not have to let them in and you can call the police and verify their badge number before you let them yeah. talk to you or take you anywhere. Because there have been a lot of people fair. that have been, you know, acting like fake cops so they can bust do into people's houses to and 12 do year olds. Yeah. So this bunker contained a handmade toilet, which was just a bucket, I'm pretty sure. Ooh. A propane stove for cooking, plenty of canned food, a small battery powered TV, and a bed. Later on, stashes of porn, a taser, and handmade grenades were also found. Oh. Wow. Okay, that's a, an array of items. So, like I said, graphic graphic descriptions in this episode. Once fully inside the bunker, he forced her to take her clothes off and chained her by the neck so she couldn't leave. So Ooh. she was basically, while she was in there, she was chained to the bed, kind of. To just Well, bed. I don't know. I think it's like a mattress on yeah. the floor. Over the next 10 days, as a search outside the bunker ensued, the man repeatedly raped, tortured, and threatened her. He raped her two to five times per day. But Elizabeth was so smart from the get-go. As soon as she realized something was going on, she started doing everything she could to survive. One source I read said that she, like dropped one of her shoes outside oh. and like yeah so she was very wow, smart, smart okay, and yeah. very aware of what was going on she began to treat him as if she did really like him he called her baby so she called him baby he said he loved her so she said she loved him back she wanted to humanize herself so he wouldn't kill her which is smart. another tip wow. if somebody is trying to you know, She's kidnap you or something. Do anything you can. Talk about your family. And, you know, that's what she was doing. Yeah. Um, He threatened to hurt her brother if she escaped and threatened her with guns constantly. He even had homemade explosives that he would use to control her, you know, to threaten yeah. her with. Somehow, through all of this, she managed to keep her composure very well. She even got him to the point where he would unchain her and let her out for a tiny bit. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. So seven days into this ordeal, she even got him to let her play games on his phone. Oh. And after he fell asleep, she was able to send texts out to her friends and family, one of which managed to actually get through to her mom. Because I'm assuming she's in a, bunker. In, the, in a bunker in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Like, there's not a great cell reception, I would assume. Yes. So the text read, quote, hi, mom, I'm in a hole. I'm in a hole across from Charm Hill where the big trucks go in and out. There's a bomb. Call police. End quote. Wow. 
So imagine when receiving this happens, that text as a mother. Oh my god! I right? mean, good to hear from your child and know that they are still alive. But, but so scary. So when this happens, they're hesitant because they know that this could be either the thing that finds her, or that this is just someone messing with the investigation that's gonna make things worse. Yeah. And they are, you know, they're airing certain things about this on the TV, so they have to be careful yeah, about the what they say. Yeah, if the killer's, like, listening. Exactly. Or killer, the kidnapper. So, but the thing was, her mom was sure. Her mom was sure that this was Elizabeth, and she didn't think that anybody else had her cell phone number, because this or at is least back had in it, 2006. Like, yeah. yeah, some, you know, Elizabeth was the only one that would have had that memorized and not, like saved in you know that it wasn't, wasn't coming from her phone, saved or in her phone. Yeah. yeah um so after three days they make the risky choice to air the text on the news in hopes of someone recognizing the phone number and being able to help locate her throughout the search for her this guy would literally watch the news coverage of it on the tv in the bunker so she would have to watch that which is just so oh, depraved no um, well, also, I mean, I would assume that he would see the segment on. Well, yeah, the that's text what I'm about sent. to oh, okay, mention. Yeah, so yeah. It, she would also literally hear parts of the search going on above her. That's so fucked up. <sighs> so they're in there and they're watching the news and they mention the text. They, they air that thing. And he's like furious. She said that this was one time when she thought that he was actually going to kill her because he was so upset. But this slimy piece of shit is also extremely scared and panicked because he's a little rat. Yeah. So he asks her advice. Asks her advice Mm -hmm. on how to keep from being found out. And she tells him that he should run and that he would go to jail if he was caught. Which, I don't think you have to be a fucking genius to realize that you're going to get caught, dude. Yeah. like If you... G- <sighs> yeah. So, he takes her advice. And, and flees. runs. He just leaves her in there. No. <laughs> yeah. So, on September 16th, there's a line search in the area that she had described in the text. When someone heard a voice calling for help and l- ran through the tree line towards it. This person saw Elizabeth standing at the edge of the bunker. They stated that they have been credited with finding Elizabeth by a lot of people, but disagree and said, quote, I did not. That child saved herself, end quote. Well, yeah, with all, I mean, that, good on them. That's awesome for saying. She was rushed to the hospital immediately and reunited with her family right away. That's so sweet. So police found her captor the next day walking along the highway with a knife, a pellet gun, and night vision goggles. Same. That's he usually like what I keep on my person. He was five miles from the fucking bunker. Wait, like the you next couldn't day, get he more than five, five miles, miles away, dude. Jeez. Five miles. And like. And why are you walking along the side, side of the, the highway, highway? You dumbass? I mean, I'm glad he was. Well, yeah, exactly. Jesus. Like, thank God he so was so dumb. He was a 36 year old unemployed construction worker named Vincent Filia who also had an outstanding warrant from 2005 for the sexual assault of his ex-girlfriend's 12-year-old daughter. Nice. When caught, he confessed and pled guilty to all 17 counts, 
so charges from Elizabeth and, and the other the kid. daughter, yeah. Uh, to avoid going to trial, he pled guilty. A day later, he was sentenced to 421 years without the possibility of parole. Hell yeah. During the sentencing, he said, quote, There are no words or statements I could possibly give to undo the pain I have caused her and her family. I used an innocent young lady as a pawn. I can only hope one day they will be able to forgive me because I cannot forgive myself. End quote. But, I mean, the thing is, his motivation behind this act was literally that he was mad that he had already been accused of child child rape. That So your reasoning uh, is to fucking do it again? I'm so mad that I'm being accused (laughs) of doing this, which I did. Right. So I'm going to do it again because I'm so mad. I didn't do that thing I did. That I was accused of it. Why would you say that? Uh. Um, yeah. So he also said that his original plan wasn't to rape, but it was to kidnap them and lead them to a spot or kidnap them and take them to a spot where they would lead a bunch of other people and then blow them up. Which I'm like, is I don't also know. Not better. If that's, that's not better, dude. True, but I think you're just a psychopath either way. Yeah. Uh, no, that's insane. But I also feel like I don't hear a lot of. Well, I guess actually that's not true. There was the one story you told the other day of the um, wife and husband murdering their whole family on Christmas. I was gonna say I feel like I don't hear a lot of remorse in a lot of these cases, but that's not completely true. But not that the remorse is genuine, obviously. Exactly. Oh, it's like God. you still did it. Well, like this guy, I don't care yeah, how sorry you are. Guy. Like you still did it. Yeah, and like, are you are you sorry? Because he literally said that. He basically alluded to the fact that he thought Elizabeth was a willing participant in some cases. That just shows like, a lot of delusion. delusion. Yeah, yeah. How delusional do you have to be that? Because so, obviously that she was just kidnapped. trying to play into it in a sense of trying to not be murdered. And even if it was something where she had willingly gone with him on the street, and he was like, "Hey, kid, you want to have a relationship with me?" It's like that she's still, still w- isn't a willing participant because no. she's a fucking minor yeah you're still 36 and she's still 12 no matter what way you paint this there is no so yeah ultimately he did admit that it was forced on both accounts so he was just trying to like make himself wiggle his way out slightly but on a happier note today elizabeth sees herself as a survivor not a victim good people people are always impressed with how normal of a life she lives and how well she she deals with it but she has had a mentality that she just can't live in the past and let what happened to her ruin the rest of her life, which I love. And, of course, it was very, very hard for her to get past at first. She had a lot of panic attacks and nightmares. I'm sure she oh, still does. yeah. PTSD, you know. It's a real but thing. But she lives a normal life and enjoys normal things now. And Vincent Filia, on the other hand, rat died in prison this year in this May year? of 2021. Nice. And they didn't release the cause of death, but who cares? I was going to say, I hope forever. it was like COVID or something. Yeah, I hope like, he died a slow, painful death. Yeah. Like, and I don't feel bad for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and I do not feel bad. Yeah, yeah well, that's so, so great that she's able to live so yeah. much more of a normal life. She just seems she's like she's very much all around... Ass. Super smart and well put together for a lot of shitty things having happened to her. Can you imagine being that young and getting kidnapped and much like 
being able to do all that to get yourself out of it, but even in general, just being able to hold your composure. I don't think I would be that he probably smart or would have killed her. at this age. He straight up, exactly. He probably would have killed her if yeah. she didn't do all that stuff. Straight up. Yeah, if she, she acted as like life. a normal twelve-year-old probably would have, which no shame on them. You're a child. Like, oh, what, oh what are God. you supposed no, 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 to no. do? No like, shame on any other kid. No, because, like, but like I could not imagine like being that quick-witted in that sort of situation and being able to keep that composure. Oh like, no, that's well, incredible. I hold my that's composure amazing. for shit when I was yeah. twelve. I Nor now. I, I was gonna say I can't hold my composure. Period. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, guys, happy Christmas. Happy Merry Christmas. holidays. Yes. I hate Hap- myself uh, for uh, saying them that way, but you know what I mean. Happy, happy what holidays. Are you Whatever you happy celebrate. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Sorry, love. that's for our new British listeners. <laughs> right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank happy you, guys. Happy Christmas. Christmas. Um, and happy holidays for happy whatever holidays. holiday you celebrate. Whatever you celebrate. Um, we hope you have fun spending time with your loved ones. Yeah. And we will see you next week for our last episode of the year. Last episode of the year. We're going to do a little bit of reflecting. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a little switch up from our normal vibe, I think, for next week's episode. It's going to be a little different. Do something a little special for the last bit of 2021. And it'll be our 10th episode. It will be our 10th episode. 10th anniversary episode of 10 episodes. Great way to end (laughs) off the year. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to Spotify and give us a little five stars and Apple Podcasts. Do the same thing. Write a little review. Let us know how you like it. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Send us anything to yikesthatsamazingpodcast at gmail.com if you got any personal stories or just stuff you want to say. Um. Yeah. I think that's all. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.